Good morning, Iwu. It's my privilege this morning to introduce our speaker of the day. Samira Gast-Myers is an artist and entrepreneur who, has a, who runs a successful calligraphy and design business. Samira is currently in the process of launching a new business that focuses on rebuilding art education programs in underprivileged schools. Now, before all of that, she graduated from Indiana Wesleyan with degrees in public relationships, intercultural studies, and art. I barely got one degree. She got three. Overachiever. Yeah. Samira is passionate about dis discipleship and living in an authentic community, along with making sure that the correct fonts are used for any printing job. She lives in Lake Placid, Florida with her husband, Daniel, and her baby, Mango Tree, and I asked if the mango tree had a name, and she said, no, but it should, and she would solicit your suggestions. So would you welcome Samira Gassmeyers? Well, now that you kind of know me, you're going to really get to know me here in a second, because I have a confession to make. When I was dating my now husband, Daniel, we went farther than we wanted to physically. You see, we didn't have sex, but we came close. We really liked each other, we loved each other, and if I would have known that when I sat where you sit now, because I have, I would have just been appalled. And not only would I have been appalled, I would have been, like, so judgmental, because I didn't make those kind of mistakes. In fact, when I was here, I was a chaplain. I was head of campus prayer, I led Bible studies, went on mission trips, and was involved in my church. And when I graduated, I thought that I was going to take over the world. I mean, I really actually thought that. And you know that story about the woman that was caught in adultery? Well, I would have been right there with this. And when Jesus was like, you know, talking to her about how much he loved her, I would have been in the crowd with this in my hand. Because this right here, I don't know if you can tell, but this is sharp, and it's heavy, and I know that I could have gotten like a really good throw in. And I would contemplate how I would throw it, because she was wrong. She was a sinner. And then Jesus would look over at me. Oh, man, Jesus caught me and smile. And I would just kind of put it away because I know I'm a sinner too, saved by grace. But did I really believe it here? Jeremiah 31, verses 3 and 4 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels your tambourines, and go out and dance with the joyful. So after I graduated from here, I went out to the Focus Leadership Institute, loved it, highly recommend it. Then I was hired by the Navigators, where I moved to Texas Tech and did full-time college ministry. And I gave it all to the students there. I mean, I worked hard. Bible, Bible studies, discipleship, evangelism. I mean, anything and everything I did for two years and then a lot of 90-hour work weeks, I got burnt out. I sought God desperately on the next step, as probably many of you are doing as you're getting ready to graduate. What do I do, Lord? What's next? 
And I didn't hear anything from the Lord. I prayed about it. I fasted. I talked to wise people. I thought about my personality test, you know, the whole thing. And there was nothing. And I was like, God, where are you? Don't you see what I just did for you? Don't you see that I gave it all to the students? Don't you see that I've served you so faithfully all this time? And what have you done? Can't even answer me? Can't even give me any wisdom for my life? I mean, I'm here. I want to be used by you. Show me what to do. And nothing. I felt abandoned and used. So I did what most people do when they feel that way. I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I enjoyed myself out there for a little bit. You know, where the nose piercing fits in really well. And then years later, I moved to Florida to start a calligraphy and design business. And in the process of doing that, and in the process of being an entrepreneur, which is exhausting and rewarding, I met a really great guy, Daniel. Just so you know, side note, there are really great people of the opposite sex outside of campus. I know some of you feel like the, you know, pressure, but there are, just so don't feel pressure. God will direct you to the right person at the right time. So I met this guy, he's really great. Um, but just so you know where this story goes, Daniel and I have different pasts. Well, you know mine, and his is the exact opposite. To put it in perspective, if he was here when I was in school here, I would have probably had a crush on him because he was a bad boy. And because he has really kind eyes, and I just love the, his eyes. But the big difference between his past and my own was not that I was busy leading Bible studies. The big difference was he accepted his sinfulness, where he had come from, and God's graciousness and forgiveness, and he'd been restored out of that. And because of that, something really beautiful was growing out of him. Something that I noticed wasn't really growing out of me. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance with the joyful. So, we began our marriage. I struggled immensely with his past. I was so angry, so hurt, so betrayed. I resurrected this dead Daniel all the time in my anger and my pain. God, how could you do this to me? Don't you see I deserved better? Don't you see what I've done for you? But then at the perfect time, always, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see something that has really nothing to do with Daniel. It had everything to do with me. Many years of wrestling with the Lord, the Lord showed me that I wasn't angry at him. I wasn't angry at his past. I had nothing to do with it. What I was is I was angry at myself, and I was angry at God. I'm going to paint you a picture. This is very scholastic. I just want you to know. Actually, I, I, was, someone, I was telling someone what I wrote. They're like, should you say that? So anyway, I'm going to say it. So it was during this time of like pain and brokenness 
that I just was really wrestling with the Lord. Like, I am thick-headed, and I go in hard and strong, and the Lord's like, when are you going to learn? And I'm just like, not yet. And <laughs> so finally, I was, I was beat down, and I just couldn't fight anymore. And it was then that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see where I was standing in a big pool of dew. You know the kind I'm talking about. You, I know, because as we were driving back in Indiana, and I was like, oh, yeah, farmland, you know. So I was in there. But it was all my own mess. It's pretty humbling. And so I was sitting in, standing in, waist-deep, covered, disgusting, gagging. Oh, I couldn't believe I found myself here. How did I get here? All that I've done, what, how, how did this happen? I looked at my hands, and they were filthy. My face was disgusting. And right at my lowest point, I sent someone behind me. So I turned, and, and Jesus was there in my mess, mine, with arms outstretched, smiling, not gagging, not judging me, but inviting me to be loved by him. He saw it, he climbed into it, and he stayed. The Lord appeared to me, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance with the joyful At that point, I got down on my knees, recommitted my life to Christ in the middle of my office, married, broken, in need of forgiveness, not for the past mistakes, the most recent mistakes that I already prayed for and received, but the more pressing ones that I hadn't dealt with, my pride, my abilities that I trusted in and not God's the idol of self that I built. The, see, the thing is, I couldn't reimburse him for coming in and cleaning me off. I had nothing to give him. Hands were dirty, hot mess right here. But he comes in and he restores us, not us, not our efforts, nothing. It's all him. And that's pretty sweet if you think about it. It's hard for a person that likes to achieve, but it's really sweet when we realize that we really can't achieve apart from him. Because the thing is, sin is messy. And the sin that you commit now won't vanish when you graduate. It won't, you know, diminish when you sweep it under the rug. Sin doesn't do that. Sin especially when hidden, grows, festers, and it's, it's, really, it's really gross. Gangrene, just nasty. So if we don't deal with our sin, we can't ignore it. We have to bring it to light. So the reason I tell you about my past is not for you to be like, yeah, she does need Jesus, <laughs> because I really do always, a lot. Everyone in my life can tell you that. Um, but to tell you that there's power 
and sharing your story. There's power in being vulnerable. Our culture will do everything that it possibly can to tell you to be strong. And sometimes the church will even tell you to do everything you can to be strong. Vulnerability is scary. One other person besides my husband knows that about me. Now 3,000 do. My parents, they're here. And um, a recording. (laughs) That's awesome. But the power is, is that when you take your sin and you expose it, when you take your brokenness and by Christ's power on the cross, he makes it strong. He makes you stronger because of it. And if we can't, as believers and as Christians, be willing to get in the trenches with one another and share our burdens and lift each other up in prayer, how can we be strong? We are a community of humans that need Jesus. We all need Jesus. So vulnerability can be scary, because I, trust me, I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should say a different story that's, you know, like a struggle. People might see you as weak. You might see me as weak. I don't know. Um, but when we are able to voice our pain, there's something that happens. It's like putting a cake in an oven and it rises and it becomes really good. Like you don't really want to eat an entire amount of cake batter. You'll get sick, but, well, I guess not that you'd eat an entire cake anyways, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying. You have to prepare it and it has to be exposed and it has to cook and then it becomes good and enjoyable and you want to share it. When we allow our our brokenness to come out and be restored, something powerful can happen. God restores it. He rebuilds it. But we have to be willing to go there. We have to be willing to take these rocks that we like, that I like, I still have to remember, remind myself to put these away sometimes. This ugliness, this judgmentalness. Because we can't be a people that do this. We have to be a people that come along one another, our friends, strangers, and say, I'll pray for you. Thanks for sharing that with me. I'll, I'll help bear that burden with you. Let's take it to the Lord and it's because he does something really sweet with it, and, and he's the one that makes something beautiful, not us. But are we willing to put these down? Are we willing to stop throwing stones of judgment and condemnation? Because if we are, listen to this, if we are willing to put these things down and walk away from them, Not only are you going to be different, not only will your friends notice you as different, not only will your family notice you as different, but guess what else will happen? And this is the sweet part, is that people are going to be introduced to a very real Jesus. Because when we say we're Christians with this, the world sees it. But when we can put these down and share love, and share sincerity, and share a willingness to bear one another's burdens and love one another, it's then that we become strong. We, we, we come together, and that's the heart of Jesus. 
He doesn't throw stones at us. He invites us into a relationship. He wants to love on us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to build us back up. We've got to walk away from that. Now, I get it. No one really wants to look like a sinner. I certainly don't. A sinner's weak, usually a mess. They're the ones that talk all the time, and you're like, dude, you know. But we are sinners. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in Life Together, He who is alone with his sins or her sins is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough in fellowship does not occur because, though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner, so everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from their fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So, we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, we are sinners. This is where I found myself, is that I was pretending to believe that I was a sinner. So, if I, or you, are pretending to be a sinner, what else are we pretending to be or believe? Are we pretending to believe that Christ really died for our sin? Are we only half-heartedly accepting this radical forgiveness that wipes us clean? Crazy, just white as snow. Instead of going on joyfully with a tambourine, are we just limping along broken, pretending that we have it all together so people can see a personality or a life or a, that's put together? See, the thing is, God loves you. mind-blowing that he loves me and he loves you and I know that you know that but do you know it have you allowed yourself to be swept away by it have you allowed yourself to get lost in it have you really gone to him with all the stuff that you have because he knows it's there you're not hiding anything. You're not fooling him. Do we believe it? The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. And you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance with the joyful. 
You see, the thing is, we can only give the amount of love that we ourselves have known, that we've experienced. I can't be, you know, super hospitable if I don't know what that means, if I haven't had that modeled. And so Jesus says to love me, love me, love my people. Can we really love him when we don't know what his love is like or what it's done for us? We can't disguise our efforts to earn his love. Mission trips, church involvement, 90-hour work weeks. We can't bring anything to him that he'll be like, oh, awesome. You're in now. You've got it. Obviously, because I entered the stage that was like the big ugly, you know, that I just shared with you. You can't do it. He just wants your heart. He wants you to come to him and be like, man, I messed up first time again. And Lord, you just, just take me. And he's like, finally, finally, just come, come to me. Here my arms, they're open. They've been open this whole time. You just, maybe you haven't seen him or maybe you've ignored him or, or maybe just come back to me. Come back because I want to hold you. Because his arms are big and they're strong and he can handle it. How deep and how wide is his love? A lot deeper and a lot wider than anything we can bring to him. There's nothing in our past that would shock him. There's nothing in our hearts that would cloud his relationship with us. From his perspective, there's nothing that we can think of and, and, and struggle with that he all of a sudden is like, oh yeah, eh, tainted. Oh, every time. What about the sinner on the cross? That was, that's an unfortunate hot mess. I mean, really. And he's like, he acknowledged him. And Jesus wasn't like, man, you missed your chance. He's like, yeah. Man, I love you too. Because he's with you in your mess. No matter if you acknowledge it or not. And he's with you saying, hey, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And I'm drawing you now and yesterday and tomorrow with unfailing kindness. Kindness so pure, so radical. Just come and let me show you what it's about. I want to rebuild you. You know that spot that you're broken in or you have hang-ups or you really need just encouragement? I got you on this one. Instead of these stones, he's like, put him down and let's go dance. I want to rebuild you so that you're never the same, so that you're stronger, broken because of me, because of what I've done, and because of what I've done in your life. I want you to be my vessel to show other people that I love them too. You have this gift in this time at school here. You have a gift to invest in people, to have people invest in you. Don't waste that. Don't squander it. Talk to people about it, your struggles. Every person on staff here has been your age before. Invite them in. Whether you're struggling with lust, porn, sex, homosexuality, materialism, just feel like you're lower than low and your grades... 
People here are struggling with it too. You're not alone. Don't let sin isolate you. Don't live in the dark. We're a community of people, but we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond to his love? So we have this sweet opportunity to run into his arms because he set us free to be free, to come to him with all of our stuff, and he wants to make us bold and strong and beautiful because he can. So, Indiana Wesleyan, put down the stones and pick this up and be willing to dance and dance with the joyful and run home to his arms for yourself, for your friends, and for others. It's been an honor to talk to you today. You guys are awesome. Have a great day.